Do you use email marketing for your podcast? If not, today's guest, Kate Doster, and I are here to explain why email marketing is still one of the top ways to build your audience and why it's just as important to encourage people to subscribe to you via email rather than only subscribing in Apple or their favorite podcast app. For those of you who already do use email marketing, even just a little bit, you might be wondering, how can I build my email list? How often do I really need to email these people? And what's the best way to convert podcast listeners to email subscribers and eventually to buyers? It's all coming up on today's episode of Wit & Wire. Welcome to Wit & Wire, where we take you behind the scenes to learn how to start and scale a successful podcast that makes an impact. I'm your host, Melissa Guller, a podcast producer, host, and instructor on a mission to amplify and diversify voices in podcasting. No matter how new or seasoned you are as a host, I can't wait to help you find more listeners, expand your audience, build authentic connections, and hit the charts. Today, I'm thrilled to be here with Kate Doster. Kate is the host of the Inbox Besties podcast. She's also the creator of the Love Your List 2.0 email marketing mega course and is dangerously obsessed with helping ethical entrepreneurs carve out their slice of the interwebs by wooing the hearts and wallets open of their small but mighty audiences. And it's all thanks to fun email marketing and easy yes mini offers. She believes that you don't need to bleed the alphabet or be a dirty rotten spam face to write emails that jolt subscribers into taking actions and gobbling up your paid offers like candy or kale if that's your thing. Kate, Kale, and Candy are all my kind of things, and I cannot wait to chat about all things email marketing today. So Kate, a very warm welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited. So I think anytime that the podcast host reads that intro, they're like, when I get them to say spammer face, I always giggle to myself. I'm like, you said it. (laughs) I think a huge theme we'll cover kind of throughout our whole episode is how to be like a human behind all this marketing stuff. And in general, I am a huge fangirl for email marketing, and I can't wait to convince everyone why they should be too. But first, I would love to learn a little bit more about your podcast. So as of our recording together, your podcast, Inbox Besties, I think has over 160 published episodes and counting, which is amazing. But you know, thinking all the way back to the beginning, why did you decide to start a podcast in the first place? So even though I was a copywriter, meaning, you know, with a W that I got paid to write words that basically made people slap buttons, I'm actually more of a talker than a writer. So podcasting was just the perfect medium for me. I could talk and teach about everything that I loved. I didn't have to worry about typos or misspellings or any of that sort of stuff. And I didn't have to put on makeup or worry what my house looked like to be able to do YouTube videos. So podcast was just the perfect medium for me. I could talk and it did not matter what I looked like. (laughs) I totally feel you on that. Especially nowadays, we're all kind of chilling at home anyway. The fact that I can just record in my PJs and no one will know except that I accidentally just told them is amazing. (laughs) Right? Exactly. They don't need to know I'm wearing slippers. Yeah, they don't need to know anything. (laughs) Now, when you got started, what did your business look like at the time? So I actually started my podcast as I was transitioning out of copywriting work. So I did probably what you're not supposed to do when you're a service provider. I was just like, that's it. I am done. And I just like stopped all of my client work. I mean, obviously, I finished up all of the products, but I did not give myself like enough runway. I should have kept one or two on, but I was like, no, I refuse it. Like, I'm just going to do courses. At the time, it was 2017-ish because, you know, there's been some hiatuses. 
and like membership courses were like all the rage. So I'm like, oh, podcasts would be like a perfect way to get people in the membership. And I don't do that anymore. But (laughs) it was just like when I decided to switch from a one-to-one service to a one-to-many, I was like, yes, I need to create content weekly. And I know I can definitely do a podcast every week. Mm -hmm. And did you find that the podcast did indeed support your business or how did it kind of work out for you in the beginning? It definitely did. I want to say it's because it gave me something to talk to and it really did help me really build a really great connection with my audience. I have to say that podcast listeners, and I know that you've definitely said this before, but podcast listeners make really great buyers. So it 100% when I have an intake form, when people were buying some of my bigger courses, and even some of the tinier offerings that I have now, I'll always ask like, how did you hear about me? And nine times out of 10, it'll be the podcast or that they've listened to the podcast. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I love that you ask people how they heard about you. That's a good quick little tip there. But I do think that with podcasting, sometimes it's not as obvious as, oh, they tuned into one episode, boom, they're buying from me. But over time, it really is a way to build a relationship with people. And then the more they get to know you and you guys get to kind of laugh together, learn together, I do see so many people eventually becoming students and clients. 100%. And I mean, there's a lot of people, and I know that you've talked about this too, where because things like, you know, iTunes and Spotify, because they don't necessarily always have the best algorithm, it's not like that you can like rely on Google to say, like, get you a whole bunch of traffic with a search term like you can with blog posts. So It does take a little bit more effort or different style of effort to grow your podcast. But once you sort of get in that groove, like it's just the sky is the limit. They just so great. Could not agree more. And I think to segue into our main topic, email marketing certainly is one of the kind of hand in hand, I think, pairings for podcasting. And let's dive into this magical world and maybe big picture first. Why do you think our podcasters should care about getting people to subscribe to their email lists instead of just asking them to subscribe in Apple or Spotify? Okay, so I don't think I'm definitely one of those like, I'm an and girl rather than an or girl. But like, let's just be real here for a second. Everybody tends to get busy. They tend to get overridden. And even if you have a short podcast that's five minutes, sometimes people are just like, you know what, I don't even have time to listen to Susan's five minute podcast today. And then like weeks and weeks will build up. But whereas when if you send them a quick email, usually they've got 30 seconds to read. So it's like, you know, in case if they're not at their phone or they're not at the podcast app or they don't feel like they have time, they're going to be in their inbox. Most people multiple times a day. A lot of people go there to escape. Like, let's be real. If you're in the middle of writing a sales page or a blog post or you're supposed to be pitching other podcasters and you're feeling a little nervous, you're going to click over to your promotions or update tab to see like, ooh, did anyone email me anything good to escape with? And that's the really great thing about podcasting is when they're not near their phone or in front of their computer, you can have that quick little relationship hit. You know, if you podcast every Wednesday, you can, you know, still email them every Thursday. Well, first of all, it's such a mood what you just said. I often call that procrastinating. working. It's stuff that makes me feel like I'm getting work done, but really... I'm not exactly doing anything productive. I'm not doing the most important stuff. But before we get into, I know you mentioned, oh, your episode on Wednesday and then email on Thursday. I want to talk a lot more about that. But while we're still in this, why should I care about email space? Why do you think podcasters should consider email marketing maybe instead of only using social media? Let's be real. You do not own Facebook or Instagram or their algorithm. 
And if you've switched over, especially to Instagram, this hit people pretty hard when they switched over to a creator account or a business account so that way they could get analytics. The truth is, is that the amount of their followers that were actually seeing their post were abysmal, 5% if you're lucky, where even if you send an email and say only like 20% of people open, you're reaching almost four times the amount of people with your email. So this is also one of those things because one of my big philosophies is to treat people like people. When you're going on a social media detox, right? You're not undoing all of your emails. You know what I mean? Like you're never deleting the Gmail app from your phone. It's always Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, right? So be where the people actually are. And it has been statistically proven that people on your email list will buy from you. And again, treat people like people. Think about it. Aren't you more invested in someone that you allow into your inbox rather than just somebody you casually follow on Instagram? I'm willing to bet you're probably following, we'll say, I don't know, anywhere between three and 500 accounts on Instagram minimum. Are you honestly subscribed to 300 to 500 email lists? I doubt it, right? So you want to be in the inboxes of the people who truly want to hear your message and get your help. That's why. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good way to put it. And as you mentioned, when we talk about email list building, a big reason why is because it is often a great place to pitch subscribers about paid offerings, whether it's products, services, or both. So maybe can you talk a little bit about what good email selling can be? Like, how do you do it like a human and not like Spammy McSusan? <laughs> I love Spammy McSusan. That's so great. We should have Billy Brohim. So I think that where a lot of people get messed up is they do tend to slip into that Billy Brohim voice, as I like to call about it. But really, it's because an email will come off as spammy or pushy or slazy or slimy when you make it about you, when you're like using a million exclamation points and you're like, oh my goodness, like Kate's super amazing program is open. Come get it. Nobody cares. And that's like a very me, me, me centered email. But if instead you're switching it to, hey, I know that you have really been struggling at actually getting your email subscribers to open and buy your stuff. And that's extremely frustrating because I know that you just want to help people, which is why in our course, and the name of the course here, I won't pitch my own stuff, we're going to tackle how to boost your open rates, how to do this. So that way, not only can you make money before your coffee gets cold when you hit your next email, but you can also feel like you're doing good in the world. And then it's a link to join. So you notice how I wasn't just like, Kate's thing is open. Come get it, you idiots. If you don't buy it, you're going to die alone and everyone's going to hate you. It is. Here is where you're at. This is why you're struggling, which is why in this thing that I have for sale that is open, we're going to tackle A, B, C, and D. So you don't have to worry about it anymore. And it happens to be like 20% off right now. It's like, whoo, like, you know what I mean? As opposed to leading with that, they call it urgency and scarcity. So scarcity being like, oh, there's only five left and urgency being like, you only have till tomorrow to buy. When you lead with the benefits, the results, the moments, the relief that your thing is going to get them, even if it's just relief from ugly walls because you have a gorgeous painting and they happen to get the discount. It just makes you sound like you guys are genuine and helpful. That's such a good point too, that, you know, discounts and urgency that's not why people buy. It's maybe why they buy right now. It gives them a reason to buy it in the near future. But ultimately, if you aren't selling something that benefits somebody else, I think you're up a, a steep hill to climb. And I think selling gets such a bad rep because it feels like I'm selling because I want to make money. But ultimately, if you are selling something that is legitimately helpful and good, 
then it becomes a mutually beneficial transaction. Like, yeah, you're getting money, but they're getting something amazing out of it too. They're getting the thing that they want. Exactly. And let's just be real here. I mean, this is an amazing show. Everyone loves Wit and Wired, right? But like when you actually give Melissa money, again, treat people like people, you are more likely to do what she says and to follow through on it more longer term than just some casual tips that you get from a podcast episode. That is just human nature. We value the things we pay for, which is why your Target purse is like, you know, covered in applesauce crayons. I think mine's underneath my desk. But the coach bag that I have that only gets bust out at weddings anymore due to the current virus situation, but like she's in her dust bag. The kids aren't even allowed to look at it. People value things that they pay for. So I don't want you thinking like, oh, you know, I'm being so mean and and I should just give it away for free. No, by asking them to step it up and put some skin in the game, you're actually stacking the deck for them so they'll actually do stuff. Mm, I've never thought about it exactly that way, but I have thought about the skin in the game concept where if somebody got your amazing offer, your service, whatever, for free, not that we want anybody to do that, but if they're getting it for free, they're so unlikely to actually do anything about it. And by paying you, they're actually really putting themselves in, they're investing, and they're way more likely to get a good result. Exactly, because they want to get their money's worth. And what's your money's worth out of free? Nothing. Mm-hmm. Well said. Now, let's get into some fun email list building questions. I've been asking my audience actually for some questions for you. And one of the questions that I got the most frequently was, when I release a new podcast episode, how should I tell my email list about it? Like, is it just, boom, here's my episode, click here? Or what kind of strategies or suggestions do you have? Sure. And I think that this is an absolutely great question to ask as a fellow podcaster myself. So I have to be honest with you. Sometimes I will send the newsletter and I will talk about my podcast episodes. And then other weeks, I kind of won't because I just, I love to test things to see, does it matter? But I think that the most important thing is literally what we had just talked about with a sales email, because honestly, you are selling people to listen to your podcast and they actually have to pay with the most valuable resource they have, their life force, time, right? So you need to realize that you are selling the free to get them to listen to your podcast episode. So you want to make sure when you are emailing about them, maybe there was a certain something that got you thinking, which is how you actually came up to this topic in the first place. Maybe it is some type of stat and then you're like, which is why? On the podcast this week, I'm going to tell you how to do A, B, C, and D. You can also think of when you are sending these emails to your list for when your podcast episodes become live. Think to yourself, how would I almost make this a sales page, whether you are having a guest or not, or whether it's just a solo episode. So maybe say here, if I laid out a framework and we'll just call it the ABC framework, right? So then Melissa could email and be like, and in this episode, Kate's going to break down her ABC framework, which is going to help you triple your open rates and get more sales every time. Instead of breaking down my process by just naming a thing, people are going to be curious and now they're going to come over and listen. It's not just enough to say, hey, I made a new one and it's live because nobody cares. It's bringing it back to how is it going to help them? It's about making it sound interesting, having a little bit of curiosity. I always like to, on the top of my email, because I'm pretty social and I like to be friendly, I'll usually have something fun at the top, like a factoid of the day, a little story about what's going on. But you don't have to have one of those if you don't want to. You can just talk about you know, the situations that your people are currently in. And then my favorite sentence is, which is why, so which is why this week on Inbox Besties, which is why this week on Wit and Wire, we are going to be talking about A, B, C, and D click here to listen. Now, here's the biggest thing, and I'm sure Melissa can probably answer this too. 
the biggest thing that I personally struggled with a little bit, and we've been doing a lot of testing is where do you send them? (laughs) So what we have decided to do, and I don't know if this is the best or if Melissa can tell me her personal opinion from her testing and all of the students, but I usually give them three links. So it usually ends up being right next to each other. I'll do blog post. I will do Apple podcast, and then I'll do Spotify because those are where most of my listens come from. But I know a lot of people will just send people to the blog post to then click over. So I would love Melissa's take on that. I was about to say, okay, you're reading right out of my notes because I also have been testing this a lot. I love email marketing and you have to test. And also, can I just say that whatever you and I say are good ideas, really, I think it just comes down to testing and every audience is a little bit different. But things that we've, I think, both been testing are, you know, do you just send them one CTA button? And then you just kind of send them off and they can choose where to listen. Or do you put a couple different options to listen? Do you send them every single link, Apple, Spotify, all the bad boys, all in one place? And what I'm doing now sounds like similar to what you're doing. I usually give them three links in the email. I have Apple, Spotify, and then my third one says listen online. And I started doing that just because people didn't know. I mean, I've been podcasting for years. And in the beginning, they didn't all know how to listen to podcasts. So I thought, oh, listen online. I don't have to download anything. Maybe this seems friendlier. And I found that that one actually does get a pretty good amount of clicks, but all three do. And what it comes down to is I think it's nice to give people the option. Like if somebody's an Apple listener, they already know that about themselves. They're going to go right to Apple. But I do get a lot of hits on the listen online. And then they're on my website where I've got more stuff for them. So I'm kind of incentivized to want them to go to the full show notes with all the good stuff. Yeah. And like I said, I love it. And I think the most important thing that Melissa and I both agree on is just hitting send. Like, don't be paralyzed. Oh, no, I sent them, you know, to the wrong place. Like, which one's better? The better is just sending them an email. (laughs) That's the better, guys. So just send an email. I love that listen online. I think that that's so smart because obviously in the blog post, in the show notes, you're going to have the icons too listen on Apple to listen on Spotify and Stitcher was really big for a while. So I think that's really smart. But you can always pull your audience. That's what we did. And that's how we found out that most people were Spotify and iTunes. Yeah. And Spotify is definitely kind of creeping up in terms of how many people are using Spotify to listen. So at first, like you said, I had Stitcher, I had some other apps, but now Apple, Spotify are the ones that I've, you know, really been focusing on. But it's nice to give people options. And something else I just wanted to briefly circle back to is you mentioned you put like maybe a quote or some other things. Basically, the email newsletter is not only about the podcast episode. It's not like, oh, it's published on Wednesday and I'm sending exactly the same thing to them in their email and it's just a mirror image. And I love that you framed the email as a way to sell people on listening. I think we forget that, right? Like the email itself, your whole goal is just to get them to click because they want to tune in. So you are selling them on, is this episode right for me? 100%. And I think that I know that we're going to probably talk about like lead magnets and freebies at some point too as well. And that's what I always tell like my students and stuff. I'm like, you have to sell the free. Something being free is not a selling point anymore because everyone has everything for free and it's more of a time allocation. So you got to do a little bit more than just being like, it's an episode this week and we're talking about how to glaze a ham. Why do they need to know that? What's interesting? What's different about your podcast episode? Why is it? Like what problem is it going to solve? Thinking about what problem you're solving, I think is a key to email marketing, podcasting, really all of online business in general. And I do think this segs us nicely into the whole free conversation. So I've heard you hint at it a few times, but I think when it comes to 
email marketing, the concept of freebies and how do I get people onto my list is huge. So maybe to keep it broad at first, what kinds of freebies do you think podcasters could be using to get people from listening to email subscribing? So this should come as no shocker, but we're only having a podcast truly to grow our business. Now, some people kind of do it the other way around where they start the podcast first, they kind of see what sticks and then they go from there. But you want to realize that your podcast is a tool to ultimately get customers. So with that mindset, the same thing comes from your freebie. Being on your list is a privilege. I know that all those Billy Brohemes of the world and the Sally Spammer faces, they're all like, you need a big list, you need a big list, you need a big list. And yeah, if you are going to be sending awful emails a million times a day, of course, because you're going to have a lot of unsubscribes and turns. But if you're listening to this show, you want to actually build a relationship with your audience. So you don't necessarily need to have a big list. What you need to have is an engaged list. And in order to have an engaged list, you kind of need to qualify who you're allowing onto your list, which is why I always say being on your email list is a privilege because it is. They are going to get your expertise, your knowledge, the fact that you care, your interactions, your free content. Like they get a lot of stuff just for giving them your name, right? And their email address. So for your freebies, you want to make sure that the topic of your freebie answers a yeah, but. So we call that a Sir Mix-a-Lot principle because just like he likes big butts, so does your wallet in your email list. Because, you know, if somebody is, say, thinking of starting a blog, but like they're not really into it, they're not going to think of all the excuses that come along with it. They're just like, oh, yeah, someday maybe I'll start a blog. But if you get somebody in the mindset that's like, I want to start a blog, but I don't know what to write about, but I don't know how to get people how to read it, but I don't know what to do with WordPress, but I don't know how much it costs. If you get a yeah, but that proves to you that this person is actively thinking of truly pursuing what you are going to help them with and usually with a paid product down the line. So you want to make sure that your freebie actually relates to something paid that you have or want to have in the future. So say again, in this blogging example, say like you don't have a blogging course yet or an ebook, but you know that's where you're going. Answer one of those general yeah buts rather than just having like, you know, something very super generic, like how to set up your WordPress website. I mean, you could potentially do that. But if you know that your course is ultimately going to be about affiliate marketing, then maybe it's like the, it's just a simple PDF spreadsheet because the format doesn't matter too much of like the five best programs that every blogger needs to join if they want affiliate income and they don't have a lot of traffic. So that, and they don't have a lot of traffic is that, yeah, but they know that they want to have affiliate income. They know they want to make money, but they just don't have the people or something even more where it could be like, you know, the five programs that got me $5,000 or something in two months, something of that nature. Somebody that is actively interested in growing their blogging income is going to check on that. So that's what you want to make sure that you're actually doing with your freebie is that it answers a yeah, but that somebody who is a little bit more serious happens. And in your podcast, you can go ahead and you can talk about it as soon as you start your podcast. Like, hey, guys, like literally have your freebies sponsor your episode. It's like this episode is sponsored by my super awesome freebie. You tell them the link a couple of times, you drop it in the show notes. You can create your own mid-roll, beginning, end-roll ads for your freebies as well. So that way people are constantly reminded that it's there. And if you want to get like super ninja, you're going to make sure that we call it conversion style content, that all of your podcast episodes or the majority of the ones that you're putting out relate back to that freebie somehow. So like say, because I teach a lot about email marketing, if I have an episode, say about open rates, or welcome series or all of this sort of stuff, 
I would say something like, but it doesn't matter if you don't have good open rates, if you don't have send and you can't figure out what to do in the first place. So head on over. I have this Ruby to answer the question of, yeah, but what do I send this week? So (laughs) I hope that sort of helps in that shell. Make sure you're answering a yeah, but that relates to a business goal for a product or service that you have or will have in the future. And then make sure all of your other free content supports it. And it's just a natural flow to be like, oh yeah, don't forget to get this freebie. It's going to take things further. Makes so much sense. And it also just, I think, should remind everybody that we are guiding people through a journey from like one thing to ultimately a paid product. And there are lots of questions that they have along the way. And I think the free content that we put out, whether it's the actual freebie download, the podcast episodes, even the email content, like that's all serving one kind of bigger theme. And unless we know what that thing is at the end of the yellow brick road, it's going to be really hard to move people there. Exactly. 100%. And, you know, because again, Melissa and I were all about testing and figuring stuff out. It can be as simple as the URL that you're giving on the podcast is just slightly different than the one that you would put every place else. So it just doesn't need to be like, you know, kdoster.com forward slash free gift dash podcast. You know what I mean? That's not a link. Don't go there. But, but right, I guess now I'm going to have to make one, put money where my mouth is. But it can just be like, oh, it's like this, but like you add an S or you add the at the beginning and then a hyphen. So that way you can actually tell in your analytics if you're using something like lead pages or even if you're just using your Google yourself, your Google analytics, you'll be able to track, oh, are my podcast listeners actually getting to the page in the first place? And when they do, are they converting higher or lower than other sources of traffic? Mm -hmm. I want to reiterate what you're saying because I think it's important and I think it might be new to people. So let's say you have a page on your website that promotes your totally awesome, yeah, but Sir Mix-a-Lot freebie. I think what we are suggesting is that you can create different versions of that page that are the same content, but have a slightly different URL because that way you're able to see who's going to what page and from which episode, or maybe you go on another podcast and you're a guest for their podcast, and then you can see who's coming in. Is that kind of what we're talking about? Yeah. So it's not necessarily for every single episode because that would be like tedious because obviously we want to get you guys to the 100 plus club, right? But it's just like, okay, what I have one that's two years worth of email ideas. So it's like, okay, I am on my podcast. I'm only going to promote my two years worth of email ideas with this one single URL. I'm not going to share anyplace else. I'm not going to share it, like you said, if I'm doing other interviews. I'm not going to share it on my own website. I'm not going to share it on social. The link to get to this one, which is the same version as all of my other freebies, it's just a different landing page so I can see the metrics. That's how it works. Mm -hmm. And I like that was a good clarification. It's not so much that we want one for every single episode of our whole podcast. It's that our podcast, we are talking about the same freebie over and over. And I think that alone is important. Like people don't remember when you say something once. You do have to tell them about it more than once in different episodes. And I loved the tip that you gave about using ad space on your podcast to promote your own freebie. We've talked in the past about using it to promote your own products, but I think it's so smart to promote a freebie to capture an email address. But people really do need to hear it again and again. Mm-hmm. Because if, I mean, again, we both love this medium and it's the best, but chances are you guys are not sitting at your desk right now with a notebook, a piece of paper, a pen, and you're not listening intently. Chances are doing something else in the background of your life right now, just like your own audience would be. And they get distracted. Or you could have been like, oh yeah, I definitely want to grab Melissa's thing. And then you forget until the next episode when she reminds you again. And then it's like, oh yeah, I forgot to do that last time. But if Melissa didn't tell you that next time, you would have still forgotten and you would have been sad because you don't have Melissa in your inbox and she's awesome. 
Totally. And I think we're just kind of, (laughs) we're just totally bumping each other up. We're like, yeah, what a great idea. What a great idea. But you have to kind of just keep telling people and remember it's kind of you to do it. Like we are not being pushy by sharing our own free stuff with people. Like this is a free thing. It's going to help them. And it's not you being so like, ooh, gross to tell them about your awesome free thing. No, (laughs) it is not at all. All right. Let's talk a little bit about some additional email questions that I got from some of my listeners. And this one is a little more technical, perhaps for people who are already a little bit set up. I do not want to dive too deep into tech and how to's and you have so much more of that in your course, Love Your List 2.0 and on your own podcast and website. But one thing I did want to ask about is the concept of a double opt-in, which I think I get asked about a lot because people encounter it kind of near the beginning of setting up their email world. So can you tell us what it is and do you recommend using a double opt-in? Sure. So this is a really great question. So a double opt-in, and chances are that you guys have all been on the receiving end of one of these, is somebody will fill in your form. So they'll give you their name, their email address, they'll hit your button. And then usually you'll get a thank you page that says, hey, go back to your inbox and confirm your email address. When they do, they go to their inbox. They have to find your message. They hit that confirm button. Sometimes it'll bring them to a thank you page that says, great, head back to your inbox. We've got your freebie waiting for you. Sometimes, and this is what I recommend with my students if they're going to use this method, if you can get that button instead of going to a generic thank you page, that it actually goes to the thing, like it actually goes to the PDF or it actually goes to a first video, I think that gives a better user experience. So that's what a double opt-in is. So there has, and just for the record, Melissa and I, we are not your lawyers. We do not pretend to be one on TV. So always consult with a lawyer when it comes to this. A lot of people, especially in the EU, when GDPR, which is legislation about privacy and how you use all those things, thought that they had to use a double opt-in in order to be GDPR compliant. That is one of the many ways that you can be compliant. So it is 100 million percent up to you if you want to have to do that. But realize you still need to do other things to be compliant, meaning you need to actually say on your forms, like by signing up for this, you're going to be getting like promotional emails and all that. And I'm sure you can actually have a lawyer that talks about GDPR on the show, Melissa. I'm not going to step on anyone's toes there. So a lot of people to have that double opt-in factor because they feel more secure and they think like, oh, like this is mandatory. So that's why I say a lot of people like to go with it. If you are going to sell on your thank you page, Billy Brohams of the world call it a tripwire. I think that that is awful. So I usually call them easy yes offers or one-click funnels because when people are like, oh, I want to know what to send to my email list. And then I tell them, oh, I've got templates too. Like they're going to want to know right away because they want to solve the problem right away, right? So if you are going to be selling on your thank you page, you don't have to. But if you are, then you need to go to a single opt-in and you need to find a different way to comply to make sure you get consent for GDPR. The reason being is, again, treat people like people. They sign up for your thing. They see an offer for sale on your website. They're either turned off or they don't want it and they just click away. They're not going back to their inbox because you had them focused on buying your paid offer, not on going to their inbox. Now, you can't ever email them again because if they never get to their inbox to confirm, you're out of luck. So you need to figure out exactly what sort of your customer journey is going to be looking like. 
But for right now, if you're like, no, I really, I don't want to sell on my thank you page. I really want to make sure everything is on the up and up. On that thank you page, after they submit, you are going to tell them to go to their inbox and give them a compelling reason why. It's like, hey, you're almost there. I know that you are super excited to lose those five pounds, but it's not going to happen until you go to your inbox and click on this confirm button. And then I can send you your meal plan guide rather than just like go to your inbox (laughs) or thank you, go confirm. Nobody cares about that. So again, it's how you want to interpret the law. And it's also truly depends on what you are planning on doing with your thank you page. If you do go with single opt-in because you're going to sell on your thank you page. So that way, even if they just click off your page, you can actually email them more than once. You need to make sure that you have a series set up or a plan to clean your email list. So that's to get rid of like inactive subscribers or say with a single opt-in, if somebody puts in Gmail wrong, because you get that occasionally, they'll put in GN instead of GM, you'll be paying for all of those misspelled emails unless once a quarter, once a year, if you've got active campaign, you can have it set up all the time where it's going to unsubscribe people who aren't opening and clicking after so long. So with single opt-in, 100%, you need to clean your list on the regular. Double opt-in, I still recommend it, but you don't need to be as aggressive with it. Mm -hmm. And I know we're talking now about email list cleaning. I don't want to get into like the how and the what and the tech, but I do want to ask, because I know about this, but it was a totally foreign concept at first. Like, why should people care about cleaning their email list aside from just you don't want to pay for extra contacts? Okay. So cleaning your email list is sometimes called scrubbing. It's just the weirdest term. All you're doing is people that haven't either opened, replied, clicked on your stuff, you're going to unsubscribe them. The reason why you want to do that is a couple, like we had already talked about, it lowers your convert kit bill. But think about it. If you are sending your email message to 100 people and 10 people are opening, that's a 10% conversion rate. But if you're realizing after a point in time that you know there's 20 people that haven't opened or 20% of the people haven't opened or clicked in a while, so we send what we call a re-engagement series. They still don't like that. So then you go ahead, you unsubscribe them, you send the same email, all of a sudden, your 10% of people opening is now bigger because now it's only going to 80 people. So it's just like, it gets you higher open rates, it gets you higher click-through rates, which are important metrics. It will actually signal to things like Gmail, Hotmail, Outlook, like, hey, this is a good sender. It helps with this thing called your sender score. So it can be really disheartening and very, very nerve-wracking to clean your email list, especially that first time. But I have students, I had one who sliced her email list in half. She went from 20,000 to 10,000 and her income doubled. She's like, so it does not matter the size of your list. It matters how active they are. Mm -hmm. And another small takeaway that I just want to repeat from what you said is that sender score concept and that the email, the inboxes, I guess, like Gmail, the other services, not email service providers, they are noticing what you're up to. And if people are never opening your emails and never clicking on your emails, that lowers your score, right? Yeah. And then just, again, treat people like people. Think of it yourself. Are you going to want to email if your open rate is 20% or 40%? If you're seeing 40%, you're getting that dopamine hit. So you're going to email more. (laughs) So it's an instant way to get higher open rates because open rates are based off of percentages. Mm-hmm. Now, it's true. Like math is math, right? One way to get better open rates is to write better subject lines, but the other is to cut out all the people who are not paying attention to you. 
right? Exactly. And some people are worried like, oh, well, you know, what's going to happen? If they want to get back on your list again, they will somehow. They will. Or they'll send you an email. Like I've had one person who had unsubscribed like a year ago. They had signed up for my freebie. There was like, they signed up for the same freebie twice. So my email service provider couldn't like resend it because like, well, they already unsubscribed from this. We can't resend it. So like she was so determined to hang out with me again. We went investigated and we'll make it work. So do not worry about that at all. Right. Like if they're not even open to getting a free email from you that probably has great content, these people are not going to open their wallet. Again, and we all know like things, activities, it loses their novelties. Again, I have a background in communication and psychology. People just lose interest. Like (laughs) to get somebody to stay focused even for 90 days on a single goal to eat better, to learn how to play the ukulele, to do meal planning, it's tough because they're going to have that natural curve of just like slipping into old habits. So don't worry about it, guys. It's okay. It's not you. It's them. (laughs) (laughs) Makes total sense. I do have a couple more questions. And one is from Melinda. I'm guessing it's a hot one, which is how often should we be emailing our list? I say at least once a week. I want you to start with that. So and then when you break it down in most months, I believe technically, I think March, and I want to say that it could be October have five weeks, depending on which day of the week that you send. So you'll need to do five emails, those. But you can handle writing four emails because that's all it is. Four emails because there's four weeks. So just do that. Then if you want to increase it over time, I have one student who barely emailed forever. We worked together on a one-on-one basis. She started emailing every single week. She fell in love with it. She was getting so much interaction. So then she started emailing twice a week. (laughs) So just start with four four emails. In one afternoon, you can write all four emails that you want to. If That's a you're like, but you don't I have don't... to do it weekly. You can just write yeah. four in a month and batch the work. Exactly. If you're not quite sure what your podcast episodes are, because I do know that posting schedules can change. Again, we're both podcasters. Then maybe you can be like, okay, well, here are some of the, the topics that I was going to send about. I actually am going to record an episode that would go really well with this email. You know what I mean? Like you can go different ways. If it's one of those where you don't get out a podcast that week, then just talk about something a little bit different than your podcast episodes. And then next week, send them to two. Like, it, don't let things hold you back. Great just point. Don't let and hold you back. Honestly, you don't even have to record your episode in order to write an email about it. And maybe even the practice of writing the kind of email that you want to send. And we talked about like selling people on tuning in. Writing the email could help you figure out what the podcast episode should include or what you might even include in the intro of the audio of the episode. So true. And so if you're a last minute recorder and you don't batch record your episodes, you already wrote the email saying that you were going to talk about the five must have fitness apps for coaches. Like you're going to record your episode (laughs) on the five must have fitness apps for coaches. Mm -hmm. And kind of on the opposite end, what if people aren't releasing weekly episodes or maybe they're between seasons? What could they be doing during those weeks? Oh, so many things. I don't want to say that those are easier, but it's easier because there's less excuse. You can't be like, oh, well, I didn't have a podcast episode. It's like, okay, you started this podcast as we've talked about with your end in mind, the where you want to lead people to, your general topic. You just don't stop talking about podcasting because your season's over. There are so many other yeah buts, again, that Sir Mixlot principle is going to come in a lot that you could be answering. So maybe even though you don't have a podcast episode, if you podcast about podcasting like Melissa, 
She can have one where it's like the three best podcasting mics. If she wants some affiliate income, obviously she's going to attach that to a blog post that she already has because you can't send Amazon affiliate links. Maybe she's just going to answer a, yeah, but how do you deal with bad interviews? So maybe, you know, Melissa tells a really short story about how she had a long-winded person named Kate Doster on her podcast and she could not interject a word wise, edge wise. But totally here's some of this. <laughs> so she like, here's the way that she interjects. Like, here's the sentence that I use to reel my guest back in. And so now it's really just a quick tip. It's still relating people. Your Melissa is still mentioning the fact that, you know, wit and wire is a thing, but it's not that there's a new episode. So it's just keeping the show sort of top of mind. And you've got a whole back catalog, guys, or you will have a whole back catalog. Email about one of your old episodes that you love, but just didn't get a lot of downloads. Totally. Or even one that you did love because we're talking for 15 to 60 minutes on a podcast, maybe even five minutes to 60 minutes. There's so much content within each episode. And I think we're doing ourselves a disservice if we only talk about it the week that it comes out. So I think Between Seasons is an amazing time to go back and say, oh, you know, one of my favorite episodes from last year that I've been thinking about is the one about podcast mics, the one about open rates, and then link them to that episode. 100%. And, you know, if you were doing a solo episode and it's more of like a teaching style where it's like one, two, and three, or it's like five tips for something, maybe in the email, you tell them one tip or two tip and like for three more, go listen to this podcast episode from the archives. So it's really easy to be able to weave in the things that you've already created. Love it. Now, I want to ask maybe a spicy question, which is what are some of the most common email marketing mistakes that you see people making so that maybe our listeners can be on the uh, the good up and up with email marketing? <sighs> so many. Number one like, where do I begin? <laughs> only showing up for Black Friday weekend. Don't do that. Um, I'm aware that, you know, at the time of this recording, Black Friday has passed. I hate that. Like you cannot show up in somebody's inbox all year. And then one weekend when people want to buy, just show up. That's how you get high spam complaints. That's how you get people being mean and responding to you with nasty things. So show up consistently. So mistake number one is not just hitting send. And again, if you miss a week here and there, you're a human. It's okay. Just get back on the horse. That's all that we're going for. The second one is using way too many exclamation points. If you cannot use vivid verbs and crisp nouns in a way to make your emails engaging and enticing, and you're relying everything on an exclamation point, you need to go back to the drawing board. An exclamation point is not there to convey excitement. Your words are, your energy is, the examples that you are using. Nobody cares that your course is open. They just don't. Even the people that are like on the wait list, they don't care. They care about what your course is going to do for them. So if you want to use an exclamation point, it's I'm so excited for all of the new leads that you're going to get exclamation point because you're going to know the exact process to go through to go blank, blank and blank, which we're going to talk about inside of insert the name of your program, period. No exclamation point. Stop using exclamation points. So those are my big two. Not actually emailing. And then using a lot of exclamation points because you are excited and making it about yourself. So I guess technically that's three. Yeah. Don't make it about you. Don't use exclamation points too often. And don't not email. Oh, I was. It, this goes for sales pages too about those exclamation points, guys. 
And like I said, I was a copywriter. So I actually got paid to write words that made people hit buttons. I'm not just somebody who got big on Pinterest with a viral pin about email marketing. Like, oh, I'm an email marketing expert. Like, this is what I was trained to do. Copywriters do not use exclamation points. The only people who use exclamation points are basically sounding like a used car salesman. No offense, everybody. But like, do you hear anybody yelling in a Lexus ad? You need this Lexus. No. The person yelling is, you know, Hungry Herbs and his discount auto place. Like he's the one that's like, get down here. It's $5.99. Realize exclamation points are yelling. Don't use them. Y'all are the Lexuses of course creators and podcasters and digital product makers. Don't yell. That's too funny. I think this is true about email marketing, sales pages, really anything that's written. Podcasting is kind of separate because we are talking, but often I will literally read an email out loud to see if it sounds like a human wrote it. And sometimes you realize that it kind of doesn't. 100% you need to. And if you would not say it, do not type it. Just don't. So, you know, there's some people think that oh, they're boring and they need to adapt this like huge, you know, larger than life personality and be like, yes, queen, like it was fabulous. If you do not talk like that in real life, don't write it. Because when you read it, it'll sound stupid. And if it sounds stupid, then it's going to come across as disingenuine to your readers. So just write the way that you talk. Use contractions. If you say things like Coolio because you're a cool kid like I am, then throw one in there every once in a while. But if that's not your vernacular, it's not your vocabulary, And don't, just don't be you. Talk about your cat if that makes you happy. (laughs) And I think for a lot of people, talking about your cat would make them happy too. Like keep in mind that being yourself is also the best way to bring people into your world who legitimately would want to hang out with you and buy from you and you would want to be in business with them. Because ultimately, like if you're not yourself, you're at risk of bringing in tons of people who you probably don't really want to work with anyway. So Maybe another tip could be instead of what I said earlier, like, oh, I'll read my emails out loud. I think some people have had success too of speaking into like voice memo. We're all podcasters. So just kind of speaking what you want and then turning that into the email. 100%. I was literally going to bring that up because we have a podcast. You need to make sure that your voices in your emails when people read them sound like your podcast. One thing that I get all the time, and I guarantee you, Melissa gets all the time too as well, is like, oh my God, I feel like we're best friends. When I am reading your emails, I hear your voice saying it. Yeah, that's because I write the way that I talk. So use something like Google Voice to text. You know, if you need to send it out to get like transcribed or something like Rev.com, one of those things, just so you can sort of see the cadence of your voice and the things that you do. Like I talk a lot and I interrupt myself. So like I use parentheses all the time because that fits my vernacular. Maybe yours is a little bit more short and sweet. Maybe you would never say spammer face, but you would say bad guys. Like, it's okay. Just write the way you talk. I think one of the funniest compliments or comments that I get kind of often, either in like student group coaching or even on calls, is, whoa, you sound just like your podcast. And I'm like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's really me out there. (laughs) And I know he gets all the time like, oh my goodness, like we're best friends. And that's what's so great about this medium of podcasting and why I love it so much and you love it so much. And it just lends its hand so well with email. Because like you remember like back in the day when you'd like, you know, write notes to your friends in class and like slide them over. This is the same thing. But instead of going through a desk and trying not to let your math teacher see it, you're just sliding it through the interwebs and, you know, making sure it's not getting caught in a spam filter. (laughs) I love that. That's too funny. 
Now, we've covered so many great strategies about email marketing, but I do want to leave our listeners with some very simple next steps that they can take. So I'm going to ask maybe the same question twice, first for people with just ground zero level of email marketing, and then for people who might be doing a little something something but could use some help. So for the newbies who do not have email marketing set up, what are one to two things that you recommend that they could do first? First, you need to make sure that you have an email address that ends in your domain name because convert kits, MailChimps, MailerLites, you cannot have the send address that you use from them be like Kate Super Awesome Blog at gmail.com. Gmail not only won't deliver them, but it goes after the MailChimps and the convert kits of the world. So they won't allow you to do that. So you need to set up a, it can be, I wouldn't call it newsletter at your awesome blog. Have it be your name at your blog. Have it be like, you know, smiles or hello or what's up? Like, you know, or if you decide that you want to like call your people something, then like I could have like listies at katedolster.com could be that send email. So you need to set up your domain email. You can do that either through your hosting. I know like SiteGround can do it. That's who we use. Or if you sign up for what's Google for work, I think now it's G Suites. They'll help you set one of those up as well. So you need to have one of those. That's step one. And then step two, don't waste so many of your time like trying to like pick and choose email service providers and like nitpick it like, oh, I wish I had this. I wish I had that. Just get started on one. Just get started on one. So once you have those two technical aspects piece together, then go ahead and think to yourself, what do I want to be known for? And what is a yeah, but that somebody would have around that topic? And then create your freebie. Love it. And if we're just getting set up, whether this is kind of a middle ground, whether I have email set up or I don't at all, if somebody opts in to my podcast, what do you think I should send them first? So they signed up for your freebie or are they just signing up for updates about your podcast? They're signing up for updates about the podcast. Maybe they were on your website and they're like, yep, I want all the episode updates from this lady. Okay. So if you're not giving away like a free gift and a freebie and you're just going with updates, which spoiler alert, most people don't want those. So keep in mind, it's good to have it at the very beginning. But as soon as you can change that, change that. You want to make sure that you are introducing yourself, that you are talking about the types of things that you talk about in your podcast. You can let them know when the episodes tend to go live. If you already have some podcast episodes under your belt, then you can tell them like, you know, the three episodes you need to listen to this week. You can send them those sorts of things when you're first starting out. They'll call it like a little welcome series. The whole point of that welcome series, it can be as short as three emails. It can be as long as nine slash to infinity because some people just hate emailing every week and they know that they'd rather spend two days writing out a gajillion emails than having to do it once a week. And then it's just all about building that authority, getting people to listen to your podcast, building that authority, the fact that you get them, you love them, you understand them, you're going to take care of them, get them to listen to the podcast. That's all you need to do. Mm -hmm. And for those podcasters who are using email marketing, maybe what's one tip or one thing that they could do that you think would be a great use of their time to up their email marketing game? I know this is going to sound odd. Besides just hit send, make sure that when you send your emails that you're sending a picture of your face, especially if your face isn't on the cover art of your podcast. Because we want people to just associate and like really build that bond with us, So have it in there. And also when you are more established and you've had your podcast going, 
I want you to like spice it up. Some newsletters go ahead, send your latest podcast episode. Other ones just maybe ask them to reply to something, ask them to follow you on social media, throw in some sales ones. So that way, they are not so jarred, if you will, that all of a sudden, when you are safe, ready to launch, or maybe you're doing a challenge or some type of other vehicle, they're not just like, why is Melissa emailing so much more? She usually just only emails me on Wednesday. And even on that Wednesday email, right before you're, say, ramping up for something big, then you can be like, hey, and next week, I've got something so important that's going to help you with A, B, C, and D. Again, give them that reason. I'm going to send you an email on Tuesday. So look out for it. And then it's that way. But if you are doing some type of launch, don't send your podcast episodes in the middle. Just wait. (laughs) Just wait. Unless your podcast episodes are like, you interviewing somebody who has taken your course or your coaching or you know what I mean? Like only do ones that are that don't just do like, oh, I interviewed Kate Doster and I have nothing to do with your course. You know what I mean? I think that's a great tip that you don't have to only email about new episodes the day they go live. Like depending on what you're doing in your email marketing world, you can email about it. Sure, that day, but like two weeks later could be better timing for your calendar. You can think about those as maybe like separate release schedules. Oh, yeah, definitely. And as we had said before, there's nothing wrong with say like, you know, a long weekend is coming up and most of your listeners are in the States. Then maybe it's like, hey, looking for something to listen to Labor Day weekend. Here are four episodes that you need to listen to. Again, if X, Y, and Z is a problem. And then it's like, you know, your last four episodes, a mix of the last couple ones, spice it up. I did have one more question that I totally forgot about until right now which is about the sender name, because I'm imagining a lot of our hosts are wondering, like, should it be my name, my podcast name, my business name? So do you have any tips about that? I think that that is an excellent question as well. I always would like you to do it as, say, your first name. And then it's not the slash, but if you hit like shift and then slash, it's like that straight line. And then do your podcast name. So if my brand was built off of Inbox Besties, and that's what a lot of people knew me for, Mine would be like Kate, that straight line, inbox besties. So that way it's there. But like I built my personal brand on my name. So that's why my sender name is just Kate Doster. Makes sense. And probably something that people could test if they wanted to. Beauty of email marketing, so much that you can be testing. But I would say that's a great tip. And I know exactly that like shift vertical space. I'm looking at it right now, that straight up and down line. (laughs) So now, right? I'm like, I don't know what to call that besides straight up and down line, but I'm like, I can get people there. (laughs) Why doesn't it have a name? Who did this? (laughs) I guess it's just like line and we're overthinking it because, you know, we're entrepreneurs and we're always trying to brand stuff. (laughs) Find its competitive edge. Exactly. Well, that space needs some branding. We're going to work on that later. Kate, it's been such a pleasure having you. I hope that people do turn into your podcast, Inbox Besties, because we've just barely skated the surface of all that there is to talk about about email marketing. And I do know that you have an amazing freebie for our listeners that hits on a huge question, which I'm sure many people ask, which is, I'm staring at the screen. I have no idea what to write. Eek. You know, so can you tell us more about it? This is one of my favorite freebies that I've created when we have alluded to this. So like I told you, you need to be emailing every week and it doesn't necessarily have to be about your podcast episodes. So I created a two years worth of strategically planned email ideas and prompts. So what it is when you head on over to katedoster.com forward slash wit, W-I-T, when you do, you'll be able to sign up for my two years worth of email ideas. So we break it down from January to December, and then again from January to December. So if you're listening to this in August, don't be like, oh, well, it's useless because half of the year is gone. 
well, guess what? Another January is going to come. So just go back up to that top January. And so if any of the email ideas that I have are time specific, oh, you know, I don't usually go with major holidays because those are obvious like Valentine's Day. But if I'm like, oh, you know, May 10th is mint julep day, it'll say on there May 10th is mint julep day. We have some students that love to just use the prompts from different months, or they'll just look at the prompts and they'll be like, it'll give them ideas for other things. Like, oh, you said to share three books that I love reading. I'm actually going to be sharing my three favorite apps or something like that. So it's katedoster.com forward slash wit, and we will take care of you. So that way, you know exactly what you can write your emails about, regardless if you have an episode or not. Plus, then, of course, listeners, you'll be on Kate's list, which is full of so many amazing tips. So I highly recommend it and check it out. And Kate, just a huge, huge thank you again for joining us. If people want to keep in touch, where else can they find you to learn more? So definitely Inbox Besties podcast. So you can go to inboxbesties.com. But honestly, wherever you're listening to this, just search Inbox Besties, you will find it. And I've been upping my Instagram game as much as I like (laughs) rag on social media, but I'm really enjoying stories and reels, I have to say. So if you head on over to Instagram, I am Kate underscore Doster. See, underscore got a name, but not up a down line. Right? What's that about? (laughs) Right? And like Dash has one, but no, Kate underscore Doster over on Instagram. Like I said, Inbox Besties is the podcast and that is the best place to reach out. Amazing. Kate, a huge, huge thank you again. Thank you so much. Bye, Melissa. If you're listening to this episode right when it's released, you are in luck. Through Friday, March 5th, 2021, Kate has put together a completely free bundle of resources called the Back to Business Bundle. It includes over $2,400 worth of templates, courses, and resources to help propel your profits and put your business on track for the year. Visit backtobusinessbundle.com to claim your free bundle before it expires this Friday. Thank you so much for joining us this week. To learn more about Kate's podcast, Inbox Besties, and her amazing freebie full of two years of email prompts, you can check out the complete show notes on our website at witandwire.com 28. Also, don't forget about Kate's free bundle of business resources by this Friday by visiting backtobusinessbundle.com. One more thing before we go. If you're planning to launch your new podcast soon and you want it done ASAP, but you still want it done well, I do take on just five one-on-one clients per month with our Done For You podcast launch packages. In these packages, I partner with you to answer all of your questions, get your gear going, create your first five episodes, brand your show, and create a strategic launch plan for your brand new podcast. I'm currently booking clients for both April and May start dates. So if you're interested, visit witandwire.com slash done to learn more or book a free call with me today. Thank you again for joining me, Melissa Guller, in this episode of Wit & Wire. I'll see you next time, podcasters.